Morning, everyone. How are you? Good to see you. Uh, and Merry Christmas. Christmas celebrations look different all over the world, don't they? What does, what does Christmas celebration look like for you? Uh, different cultures have different traditions and ways of celebrating Christmas, don't they? And uh, often it's when we learn about other cultures that we suddenly realise afresh the peculiarity of some of our own traditions. So the Boxing Day dip, for example, we Brits can often be found uh, lined up on our grey windswept beaches the day after Christmas Day in various modes of dress and, uh, and we charge into the ocean to rouse ourselves from the Christmas slumber of the day before. Here's one from Saltburn last year, I think. Uh, of course, in Australia, the 25th of December is in the middle of summer, isn't it? So Christmas might look more like this. Um, I wouldn't mind a, a summer Christmas myself one of these days. Uh, there'd be no need for my uh, vitamin D supplements anymore, would there? And uh, weddings are no different. Um, they're similarly to Christmas, they're different all over the world, aren't they? I remember the best wedding I've ever been to. I have a Korean-British friend who grew up in India. So her mum's Korean, her dad's British, she grew up in India, her parents were working there. And a few years ago, she married a British-Nigerian man. And so at the wedding, there was food and dancing and clothing and customs from, from Korea, from India, from Nigeria, and from the UK. And it was such a brilliant day. And the father of the bride stood up to make his speech. And he explained three things. He said, partnerships between people of different cultures are often weak if they don't understand each other's cultures. Partnerships between people of the same cultures are strong because they do understand each other's cultures. But he didn't stop there. He said that the strongest partnerships of all are between people of different cultures who can learn about one another's cultures. They're even stronger partnerships than between those of the same cultures. Partnerships between those of different cultures who can learn about each other's cultures. And we all know, don't we, that any kind of, any kind of relationship, any kind of partnership demands that both parties take the time to understand one another as best as possible, even between those of very similar backgrounds. And uh, in the reading that, that Nelly just read from us, from John 1, John talks about the Christmas message. It's a bit different to the other gospel writers who include a lot of details about you know, the wise men, Herod, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds. John doesn't so much give us those kinds of details, but he paints the big picture so that we might get something of the meaning of what's going on. He steps back and he, he wants to help us see that Christmas is all about two different cultures coming together. Not different human cultures, but perhaps the most different cultures of all, the culture of heaven and the culture of earth, God and mankind. It's the most sought after meeting point in the whole of human history. How on earth can we know God? How on earth can we know God? But it's the most beautiful, essential and eternal convergence of all. The meeting point of God and people. God and man in the person of Jesus. This is what John says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. This is God's culture. All things were made through him. A relational God existed in the beginning, before he made anything. A word who was with God and was himself God. He is life and light, John tells us. A light that then shines in the darkness. And then John says this in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. The culture of heaven and the culture of earth, the two are designed to be one, to fit together. But they can't be one. Because God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And there's lots of darkness down here, isn't there? We might try to climb, as it were, into God's space to be with him, by trying to get everything right, or sometimes we can even think that we're the ones at the top and that God should climb up to us. But it doesn't really work like that, because we're not at the top. We're at the bottom. But the good news of Christmas is that in the person of Jesus, God descends to be with us, to dwell with us. This amazing meeting of heaven and earth. Let's learn more about this uh, with the help of some friends from the Bible Project. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but... Here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning, where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. 
Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again.
There we go. God's space and human space overlapping in the person of Jesus. Now, I used to live and work in York as a student worker. And one year I moved into a student house with some student friends. And it was the worst house I've ever seen. Uh, The wallpaper was hanging off the walls. The fridge was in the lounge. And the shower leaked through the roof, which is why the wallpaper was hanging off the walls. Uh, So we spoke to the landlord and we said, if you pay for the materials, we'll, we'll do the work. We'll do it up. And we did. And and thankfully, I had a friend who was a decorator, and he came to look at the lounge, and he said, well, you get rid of all the old wallpaper from the walls and off the ceiling, and then I'll come back tomorrow, and I'll help you prepare and repaint the walls. And so in the garage of this house, there was this really old, kind of heavy, wooden, clunky ladder. Um, I wonder, actually, I haven't prepared you for this, but um, Phil... Uh, David, could you do me a hand? Just go through here. Um, can we just set up one of Peter's ladders? He's got a nice step ladder. You don't have to get the biggest one. Just a, a medium-sized ladder. If you could just bring it out down the middle for me and set it up somewhere behind me while I'm speaking, we'll have a bit of a visual aid. Peter's got some great ladders here. So, But anyway, I found this big old clunky wooden ladder in the garage, and I started getting rid of... Um, started getting rid of the wallpaper on the walls and on the ceiling. Perfect. Just, just here is great. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, that's great. So it wasn't like this, the ladder I was using. The ladder I was using... Um, the ladder I was using was, was really old and quite rickety. And so I was getting all the wallpaper off the walls and I had to get it off the ceiling too. It's taken me ages. And then... Um, the next day, my decorated friend arrived, and uh, the first thing he did was look at this old ladder and the mess I'd made of trying to get rid of the wallpaper, and he just laughed at this old ladder and took it outside, and then he brought in all his nice new decorating stuff, and he had a nice lightweight aluminium ladder like this one, and, um, and in a few days, a couple of days later, uh, the house was ready for us to move in, and it was a much nicer place to live, thankfully. Now, John says... In John 1, Christmas involves a kind of ladder, a way that heaven and earth are connected. And we mentioned before that we can kind of try to climb our way up to God sometimes, can't we? But it just doesn't work like that. We can't do it. We can't do it. But God comes down to us in the person of Jesus. He comes to dwell with us. And just at the end of John 1, we didn't read this, but but Jesus actually refers to a story in the Old Testament about a ladder, uh, about a vision that someone called Jacob had of angels ascending and descending um, between heaven and earth. Uh, And Jesus says that, that the friend he's talking to will see the Son of Man as a kind of ladder. And when Jesus dies on the cross for us, as the video was explaining, He opens a way for us to know God, for God to come and dwell with us. He becomes a kind of ladder, bridging heaven and earth. He's lifted up high to die on a cross before rising again on the third day. And so God can come down to us to make our hearts his home, 
the culture of heaven and earth connected once again, one human heart at a time. And of course, John uses the language of receiving, doesn't he? He talks about receiving Jesus, receiving like receiving a gift, a present. He says this, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do we, how do we welcome God? How does God come to dwell with us once again? Well, it's as we simply receive Jesus as the greatest gift imaginable, God with us. And so I'll simply end by asking, would you like to receive Jesus again or for the first time this Christmas? Would you like to have him make your heart his home? And here's a a short prayer that I've taken from the end of of the carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that we sang just a minute ago. Uh, I'll just read what it says. It says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to me, I pray. Cast out my sin and enter in be born in me today. So why don't we just bow our heads for a moment and I'll, I'll pray this prayer now. And um, for anybody who wants to join me in this, then all you need to do is simply repeat these words in your heart as I, I pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to me, I pray. Cast out my sin and enter in. Be born in me today. Amen.